0: Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of pleasant
1: travel. I'm Paul Bresson. Mina konnichiwa. Boko Jason needing this. desu Genki. Yokatta. Konnichiwa, Jason san. Yo. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm suffering a little bit from the post vacation blues, if you know what I'm saying. I'm just trying to grasp onto that that feeling of being in Japan still, you know? I don't want to let go.
0: No, I don't know. I feel great. I feel better than I felt in months, Jason. Why? Because I was just in Japan, and it was great, and I'm re-energized, and I came back, and the weather's beautiful, and I've gotten some sunshine, and most of the snow is gone. Life is
1: good. Okay, that's good. I'm happy for you. I just came back To, you know, work with a renewed hatred for the idea of spending 10 hours a day in front of screens and not being out hiking in the mountains of Japan and like having nonstop fun all day, every day. I mean, sure. I was
0: like, I'd rather stay here another week than go home. But I had to come home. Yeah. I'm still feeling good. I got knocked out of my winter doldrums.
1: I don't know, man. Today it was really hot in the office and I'm not I'm not ready for summer. You know, I like winter. I like the cooler months.
0: I'm ready for summer. Okay. But it'll get cold again. We're not quite there yet. Yeah. This is this is all fake warm.
1: Yeah. This is where Minnesota weather starts teasing you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we just got back from Japan like days ago. Like days ago from when we're recording this, not from when you're hearing this, but uh I'm still feeling the jet lag, man. I woke up at 3 a.m. this morning because my body is just, is taking a while, which is funny because when I got to Japan, I felt great. Like day one, I felt no effects of jet lag. I had the same thing. Going there, I adjusted really quickly
0: and didn't really have any problems. Felt good. I was sleeping through the night mostly. And I came back and I was just waking up at 2 a.m. wide awake. -hmm. Um, Just the last two nights, I finally slept mostly full nights. So I'm feeling pretty good now. But the first three or four days, the jet lag was bad.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Like when you have something occupying your mind and you have things to do, like I, you know, this was an ambitious trip for me in Japan. So even just right away, I was doing stuff. I had things to think about, experiences to have. And I feel like that just. Didn't give me time to experience the jet lag. Just powered through it? Yeah. Okay. Didn't even notice it. (laughs) What a trip though. Right? Oh, man. Dude, I think that was my best Japan trip yet. It went exceedingly well. It was so great. (laughs) I think the itinerary was great. The weather
0: was amazing. Yeah. It was the right time of year to go. Every place we went was cool. There was nothing that was really disappointing. We followed
1: the cherry blossoms. That worked out pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, this episode and then the next two episodes are going to be recap episodes about our trip. Because who doesn't love hearing people talk about their vacation that the other person didn't go on, you know? (laughs) Right. Hey, come on over. Let me show you my 800 pictures yeah. and talk about
0: all the things I saw.
1: How about you just stare at me and I'll just talk for like hours on end about all the cool things that I saw that you didn't see? That's actually about to be
0: my life because Jason got to Japan a week before <laughs> me. So this first episode is going to be all about Jason's fun week without Paul. That's right. It's and gonna I'll just be, be awesome. listening and nodding along with all of you.
1: Yes. It feels a little self-indulgent to do these recap episodes, but we actually we got some good feedback on the last recap episodes we did, like three years ago or whatever. And I hope that we can give you an idea of like what you might want to do if you visit these cities that we visited, or give you a sample itinerary, like maybe you want to grab a few days out of our plans and do that yourself. I have some recommendations. Let me tell you.
0: I bet you do. But I think this is the time and place for it. This is a podcast about traveling in Japan, and we're going to talk about our travels in Japan. That's right. That's so what we're doing. We got the right audience. We'll we'll give it all out here so we don't have to bother our friends and family in real life with all of our boring stories.
1: To be honest, Paul, at work today, I spent like all day telling my coworkers about the trip. <laughs> i'm exactly
0: the opposite everyone's like how was your trip paul i'm like it was amazing thanks for asking and then i'm back to work
1: to be fair they were asking questions it's not like i was just like hey listen to me talk you know they asked for it sure yeah you know <laughs> ask jason one question you opened the door yeah that's true well nah, i warned I'm... them about that too i was like are you sure you want to ask questions <laughs> because i could talk for hours and we're we're about to right now fair enough So before we dive into it,
0: I just listened to our episode about planning this trip that just came out a couple days ago, and I wanted to touch on a couple things now that we've actually done the trip. So the first one is just cleaning up my dumb mistake. I kept talking about how when you're leaving on an international flight, you have to go through customs when you leave. That
1: is not true. And I don't know where I got that from. Although when we left Japan, you have to scan your passport at this like gate that then opens for you to walk through. I think they called that like immigrations or something. Yeah, I suppose. You need to tell them you're leaving the country.
0: Yeah. But that's on the way back, not when you're leaving your home country. Correct. I did have a little worry because I was transferring in Canada. And they were like asking me for my vaccine cards when I was checking in for my flight. And I only had a picture because I didn't want to bring them with me and lose them. And they looked really worried. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to make my flights. But it was no problem. In Canada, I just showed them the picture and they let me on the plane and it was fine. Good. Yeah. I didn't bring them because I was like, oh, I'm pre-approved for Japan already. I've got the QR code. I wasn't even thinking about, oh, I'm stopping in Canada on the way. Even though I wasn't leaving the airport, it was just a layover. But those are the little things you
1: don't think about sometimes when you're traveling. Yeah, get all those documents. Just have them in your hands, just in case.
0: Yeah, and I always have heard the advice, come three hours to the airport before an international flight, two hours before a domestic flight. Not really sure why. Maybe just because you really don't want to miss an international flight.
1: You have more to lose
0: (laughs) if you miss that flight try to rebook that on a day's notice, they're like, oh, that'd be $5,000. So another thing we should talk about is the JR Pass because that has changed a little bit. And I think we mentioned that in the planning, but now we know exactly how it works.
1: Yeah. Yeah, big changes with that, really. For the better, I think. It was great. Definitely, yeah. It's improving. They're making it more efficient. Yeah. Um, first, I mean, do you want to just lay out a quick summary of what the JR Pass is just in case anyone isn't aware? Yes, please. Oh, I was, I was letting you do Oh, okay. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> I should talk a little bit before you get into your week here. Yeah, I'm giving you a chance.
0: <laughs> so the JR Pass, you can buy for one week, two weeks, or three weeks. And it gives you access to any train in the JR rail networks, which includes Shinkansen, Shinkansen Center bullet trains. And quite a few other trains are JR line as well. It even covers some ferries here and there and maybe certain sightseeing buses or something, but mostly JR train lines.
1: Yeah. So we've said many times before on the podcast, if you want to get the JR Pass, it would help us out a lot if you got it through our website because we are affiliated with jrpass.com. So if you go to our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com, click on the travel tools section in the navigation bar, you'll see a link there for jrpass.com. So the big change with the JR Pass is the actual form of the pass itself. You used to get this little cardstock pamphlet sort of thing, and you would just flash that at the manned gate when you pass through to get into the train area. But now... They've changed it so that the pass that you get is basically just a little paper pass, just like any other train pass that you would buy. So it's really convenient because you can put it through the automated gate. You don't actually need to see a real person to get through the gate. The only drawback to that is that the pass is kind of fragile now. Like you can't ruin it, wrinkle it up, stick it in your pocket, or you're kind of out of luck. Can't use it anymore. True.
0: True. I did not have any problems with that because I didn't want to lose it. So I was being careful with it anyways. I was tucking it away safely in a secure spot in my wallet. So I I had no problems with that. But
1: yeah, I found a a good solution pretty quick because the first hotel that I checked into, they gave me like a little booklet for my uh, key card, like for my room. And that was kind of the perfect place to just stick the JR pass. And then I put that inside my passport too for a little extra protection. Stuck it in my pocket. No problem.
0: Yeah, I think it was way easier. You just go through a gate like anybody else. You don't got to try to find a man gate or wait in line there. Yeah. Also booking the tickets, you used to have to always go to the ticket counter and get it through a person. Now with these tickets, you can go to a machine and just book your tickets really easily on the automated machines. That was so cool.
1: So awesome. Yeah. There's just a little QR code on your pass. And so you go up to a machine, you hit the English button, and then everything is in English. It's super, super easy. It just has you scan your little QR code, you punch in your passport number, and, oh man, huge time saver. So one other
0: note I wanted to pass along is that there are actually a lot of places you can pick up a JR Pass, which I didn't find out until I'd picked mine up. When I arrived at the airport... It was really late, and I was super tired, and the main office was closed to pick them up. So there was a line like, I don't know, 200 people deep for the little sub-office. It was so long, and I was like, I'm too tired for this. I just went to my hotel, and I came back in the morning before my next flight, and I just barely got it in time because the office didn't open until 6.30, and my flight was at 8.00. And the office was in Terminal 1, and my flight was in Terminal 3, and I was getting all nervous. And then once I got it, they gave me a pamphlet with all this information about the JR Pass. And it lists like 50 or 60 stations you can pick it up at. And we were going to Kagoshima right away, and there's actually one in Kagoshima. Nice. It's not the main station. It's like some JR office or something like that in Kagoshima. But I'm sure you could look up online So you don't necessarily have to pick it up first day in the airport if you're not going to activate it right away. So another thing I wanted to touch on is internet access in Japan. So we talked about a couple options in our planning episode. What I ended up going with was I purchased an extra international plan for my cell phone. I use Verizon. I don't know if that means anything to anyone outside of America, but it was a little pricey. I had to pay a hundred dollars for a month of international access because you could only do a month. You know, I only needed two weeks, but a month is an option. It didn't have to be a calendar month, like I was able to start it exactly the day I arrived in Japan. But it worked great. I got great access. It was so easy. just it was on my phone. It was like just being at home.
1: So it worked incredibly well. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. How did that go for you, Jason? Not great. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't, it could have been worse. Like I did have internet. It just wasn't to the level I was hoping. So I'm with T-Mobile and I bought, same as Paul, I guess, a 30-day international pass. I was supposed to get like 15 gigs of high-speed internet. It was not high-speed, like at all. Like it was way worse than my internet at home. It's worse than I remember the internet being in Japan whenever I rented a pocket Wi-Fi device. And I, I'm i not exactly sure why, because I even called them up and they like assured me that I was getting you know the high-speed thing. My pass was active and everything. It might have something to do with the networks that our phones were using in Japan, because I think Verizon partners with Docomo, right? Yeah, that is what a uh, connection I had. And on T-Mobile, they partner with SoftBank, And I mean, it said I was on LTE, which is the same thing I'm on at home, but it just, it wasn't fast enough to even like watch stuff on Instagram. Wow. And a lot of the time, basically all I really needed it for was translation sometimes and like looking up navigation stuff. But even with the navigation stuff, sometimes it would take like a full 30 seconds to pull something up or it would just not pull it up at all. And I'd have to like go to airplane mode and then... Go out of airplane mode and wait for it to reconnect and then it would work. But it was never fast, ever. That sounds incredibly annoying. It was very frustrating.
0: Mine was great. I was streaming YouTube videos, I was using Spotify. There's I was doing no everything.
1: way I could have used YouTube. Like, no way. <laughs> Anyway, so that's our internet experiences. It uh, was way easier than carrying
0: around a pocket Wi-Fi with you and trying to keep it charged all the time. Definitely, definitely. Having definitely. to flip it on and off to save battery.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I think next time maybe I'll try something like UBIGI. I was looking at that website, like U-B-I-G-I. I'd heard good things about them. You basically just pay for like a virtual, what do they call them? An eSIM, right? It's like a virtual SIM card that just lets you connect to the network's in Japan? Might see how that goes. I don't yeah, know. as long as you apparently pick the right network in Japan. Yeah, I'm not sure which one they use, but anyway.
0: Well, the trip went incredibly well. Indeed. I still made some mistakes. Ditto. There was that one time I hopped onto the women's only train car. That was embarrassing. I bet it was. I just barely made the train. I walked down and it's there and the doors are open and it's full. I'm like, oh crap, I better hop on this train. And I actually followed a Japanese guy onto the train. But then right away he like switched carts and I didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. And then like a station, a full station later, I look up and I'm like, it is only women and me in this cart. What have I done? And I silently slid into the next car. In shame. This guy, Gene over here, doesn't know the rules. Nobody even looked at me funny, though. Everyone was super polite about it. that's good. They probably understood. Oh, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Just likes the ladies. And it's like, I know there's women-only cars, and I almost always look for it, and the one time I didn't, I made the mistake. It happens. It does happen. It's got to move on.
1: All right, Jason. Tell us about your trip. Okay. Day one, I woke up. I got to the airport. I flew to Detroit. Detroit has a pretty cool airport. You know, they have an indoor tram. It rides on top of the restaurants and shops, like on the inside of the airport. Pretty cool. It'd be more cool if it was in Japan. Agreed. There was this other really cool thing where you you like scan your boarding pass and then you walk forward and there's this huge screen up above you. And it calls you out by name. Like it said, hey, Jason Neeling, here's your flight information. Here's how you get to your gate. But the crazy thing is, I was the only one that could see it. What? Yeah. Like if somebody was standing next to me, they wouldn't be able to see that. They would see their own boarding information. Interesting. Isn't that crazy?
0: That is crazy. Yeah.
1: They called it a parallel reality experience. (laughs) Okay. It's pretty cool. Anyway, from there, flew to Haneda. Both flights were on time. It was great. You know, I think in the past I've said that I kind of like long plane rides because I, I don't have any responsibility. I can just sit there and watch movies and stuff. I was wrong. Long plane rides, I don't dig them anymore. Yeah. Flying over the Pacific sucks. <laughs> Why the Pacific? Because it's long. It is long. And I didn't want to sleep because I didn't want to mess up my sleep schedule. I feel like the best move is to just stay awake. Until that first night that you're in Japan, you I just I can't mean?
0: sleep on planes. Hmm.
1: I slept it, a little bit on the way back, but it's too cramped. Yeah. Anyway, flight was fine. Not much to say about that. Once I landed in Tokyo, I restarted my phone. I got on the internet. I only had my tiny little bag, right? I just brought a backpack. That's literally it. So I was able to just sprint. I didn't literally sprint, but I really quickly got through customs and immigration. Like I was at the front of the line because all these people were not prepared. You know, we talked before about how you can submit all your documentation in advance and just get those QR codes. They make everything so easy and so fast, and you can skip past like everybody else that was on your plane. Yeah, I had the same thing
0: QR code, QR code, QR code, boom, 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 you're through. Yeah.
1: And by the time I got to the JR ticket, place to get my JR pass there was a tiny bit of a line but by the time I got my pass I looked back at the line and it was huge what time did you arrive I want to say around like 5
0: p.m okay that's what time I was supposed to arrive but my flights were delayed mm. yeah. so I arrived later that was maybe my problem yeah
1: yeah so that was great got on my train to my hotel in Shinagawa and got some kombini food for dinner and went to bed. Okay. Yeah. Successful first day. Day two, got up, went to the train station, which is right by my hotel, because I planned well. Ooh. Yes. And then I took a train for four and a half hours to get down to Onomichi. So, Onomichi is a little town in Hiroshima Prefecture. It's not a well known place, I think. For international tourists, most people probably are not aware of Onomichi. I loved it though. And I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll get there. But uh, so I got to Shin Onomichi Station, which is where the Shinkansen stops. Okay. As soon as I got off the train, I started looking around. There are some gift shops in the station. And you know, I have to check those out. Sure. I'm into gift shops. And you can kind of get a sense of the local culture in those gift shops because, of course, they're selling local stuff, right? First thing I noticed was that there are a ton of lemons. Let me pull up my pictures here. Paul and I are going to be looking through my pictures a bit on the TV here.
0: He's going to make me look at all 800 pictures he
1: took that first oh, week. Oh, no, Paul. 800. <laughs> oh, a sweet no. summer child. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, Onomichi. Check out all this lemon stuff, man. They got a mascot that's called Nyamon. They're squishing together the words nyan, which is like meow, like indicates cat. And then moan is like from lemon. So it's like a cat lemon. See the cat lemon, Paul? It's cute. Yeah. And then they got this kaiju lemon snack. And then they got lemon ale. Oh. I didn't try that. I don't know why I didn't try that. But anyway, so lots of lemons. That'll be a recurring theme. You'll hear more about these lemons. Okay, so from Shin Onomichi Station, I had to take a taxi to get to Onomichi Station, which is down by the sea. Because Onomichi is right on the edge of the Seto Inland Sea. Once I dropped off my bags at the hotel, I wanted to start the temple walk. This is one of the things that Onomichi is known for. So like I said, it's a pretty small town, but they have an inordinate amount of temples in this town. Do you know why that is? Well... I mean, at some point it was like a religious destination, I guess. Actually, at all of these temples, they have little buttons that you can push that'll tell you the history of that specific temple. So they all have like a story behind them, you know? Cool. And they're all like, you know how that works. It's all like these ancient monk pilgrim guys that walk around and found all these temples, right? Yeah. Founded, founded all these temples. I think that's what I meant to say. Uh,
0: Makes more sense. Yeah.
1: Okay, so before I started the temple walk, I had to try some Onomichi ramen, which is, oh man, it's so freaking good. They put pork fat like in there. like You see those little floating blobs? That's just like pork fat. And then it's a soy sauce-based soup, and the noodles are kind of flat. They're not perfectly round. They got like edges on them. Anyway, definitely try that. I had a few bowls of that before I left Onomichi. Uh, so then, okay, recommendation. If you want to do this temple walk, go to the tourist information booth at Onomichi Station. They'll give you a little map of all of these temples and where they are. And there's kind of a route that goes through the hills. And it's like fairly decently marked. You kind of, it helps to have a little bit of Japanese and at least be able to recognize the kanji because it kind of, you got to pay attention. But it's not too bad. And there's just so much cool stuff up there. So many amazing views and these cool temples. And with the cherry blossoms, I started seeing cherry blossoms. I thought I would be too early for them, but it was great. Got your first views of some cherry blossoms. Yeah, I was very excited. I just sat there and started taking pictures. Look at all these pictures. There's also a temple that's kind of up on this little mountain. It's called Senkoji. And The area up at the top of the mountain is called Senkoji Park. It's a great place to get really amazing views of kind of the whole city and the sea, just beautiful stuff. So I recommend going up there. I recommend the Temple Walk. I only got about halfway through before I started running out of time and the sun started going down. So I made my way back to the hotel. And the next morning, this is day three now. Day three, I started the Shimanami Kaido. This is another thing that Onomichi is known for, and maybe the thing that it's most known for, actually. Like in my research, I got the impression that a lot of people go to Onomichi just to do the Shimanami Kaido, which is this bike course. But I recommend spending at least another day, maybe even two in Onomichi, just because it's such a cool town. I spent two full days there, and I still wish I had more time. What's the size of the town? It's not big. I don't know. I can look up the population if that would be helpful. Is that what you mean? Was like Kagoshima size or smaller than that? Smaller, I'd okay. say. Okay. So, cool little small town. Population of Onomichi is 138,000. Okay. Yeah, super cool place. The other reason I wanted to go there was because one of those Yakuza games takes place there. I've talked about those games a bunch. You know, and uh, I was just excited to see if it felt like the game in real life. You know, and it totally does. That's maybe what it's best known for. The game. <laughs> the people that have played the game. Nah, I feel like more people are familiar with the Shimanami Kaido than with that game. Maybe more tourists are. Yeah. Anyway, So tell us about this bike ride, Jason. Okay. So day three, I woke up. I was staying at this place called Green Hill Hotel which is like literally right next to where you pick up your bike and right next to the ferry that gets you to the first island on this bike ride. Okay, so quick overview of what this thing is. The Shimanami Kaido. It's about a 43-mile bike ride across the Seto Inland Sea. You can do it either direction. You can start in Onomichi or Imabari, which is on the island of Shikoku, And basically, you're biking across all of these little islands in the Seto Inland Sea, which are all connected by bridges. And it's incredible. It was mind-blowing. Like, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Paul, if you want to go, I'm totally in. I think we should start from Imabari this time, though, and I'll tell you why a bit later. But Must have been great if you're already willing to do it again. Dude, I loved it. Like, you know, I, I love just that feeling of like exploration of just being in Japan, being able to go wherever you want and follow your heart. You know, I want to go to this place and see this thing. You just go there and combine that with the feeling of being on a bike, being able to move quickly. It was just, it was amazing. So let me give some tips. If somebody wants to do this themselves, maybe don't rent a bike where I rented a bike. (laughs) I rented a bike at this place, like I said, right next to Green Hill Hotel. There are a ton of bikes, and I was happy to get one with a basket. I wanted a basket on the front because, of course, I had my backpack. wanted to stick that in there instead of carrying it on my back. So that part was great. The problem was that these bikes are pretty small. Like, they're made for Japanese-sized people, which I am not. I'm six feet tall. And the seat on this bike would not go high enough so that I could fully extend my leg and get a full stroke. So that was kind of not ideal. I've heard that Giant, the bike company Giant, they also rent bikes. They have a place where you can do that. And those ones, I saw some people riding them and they they looked bigger. They're probably a better fit for you if you're a bigger person. Nice tip. Yeah. But... Honestly, it wasn't a huge deal. Most of the ride is pretty flat, so it was a seven-gear bike. I felt like that was plenty of gears I didn't need any more. And, you know, when it's so flat, it doesn't really matter that you can't put your full weight on the pedal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're just cruising. Yeah. Okay, so, like I said, I got my bike. I took a quick ferry I mean, it's really like just across this tiny strip of water. It's like a three-minute ferry ride. And that's the only ferry you need to take for the whole thing. The rest of it, you're just on your bike. Okay. So you get to the other side and you just start following this blue line. There's a blue line on the side of the road. Tells you if you're on the right path. The thing that they don't tell you is that there are multiple blue lines and you still kind of have to pay attention to where you're going. There was a time when I was like, oh, there's a bridge. I'm supposed to be crossing that bridge. And then I totally biked right past the bridge and it took me a little while to realize, wait a minute, that bridge is behind me now and there's still a blue line here. I think I messed up. (laughs) So you got to at least watch for the signs that say, oh, this way to the bridge, you know? Okay. So like I said, pretty flat on the islands themselves. But when you get to these bridges, that's the only time when you need to climb a little bit. They're kind of switchbacks to get you up to the bridge. But then of course, when you climb up on that side, cross the bridge, that means you get to go down the other side, which is really fun, like just zooming down these windy <laughs> little paths, you know. That does sound fun. It was great. You could always walk your bike up the bridge, too. You could. I didn't feel the need to. Like it's not that long or steep of an incline, so okay, no big deal. But the views are crazy, man. I mean, the bridges themselves are beautiful, and like you're always looking out at the water, and you get to go through a lot of different types of terrain. I saw a leek farm. That was pretty cool. Never seen one of those before.
0: A little special for you being such a Miku
1: fan? <laughs> I guess so. I didn't really think that. Um, there are a bunch of places to like stop and get a snack. I got some salt ice cream, which apparently is a thing in that part of the country. It wasn't like super salty or anything. I don't know. I feel like I've heard of that before. Really? Never tried it. Hmm. I had it at a couple different places. It was good. Um, Okay, there's this one place I found. So I kept hearing about these lemons, like I said, and I saw a sign that said, oh, come here and get your lemon cake. Yes, I will. I will get that lemon cake. So I stopped at this place, and the building is painted all yellow. It says, Hiroshima Onomichi Setora Lemon Island. Does that say arrived? Yes. I don't know, kind of a weird translation. But they have little lemon trees out front, and then you walk inside, and there's just lemon everything. Like they have all sorts of lemon snacks, everything you could possibly imagine. They got that lemon ale, of course. I got one of those lemon cakes, highly recommended. I mean, just lemon everything. It was really cool. Then, next stop I made was at a temple called Kosanji, which was actually surprisingly elaborate. Like It almost reminded me of the Niko shrines, just because of all the little elaborate details. Yeah, the front gate looked really interesting. Yeah. And the cherry blossoms were blooming here too. They weren't in full bloom, but there were a lot of them. But you see that? Like there are dragons on there and stuff, really intricate carvings. It looks a lot like Nico, don't you think? It does. That was pretty cool. A lot of interesting stuff at this temple too. Like there was this cave. They called it the Thousand Buddha Cave. And you walk through there and you see all these little displays of like Oni torturing people and stuff. And nice. then And then the good guys show up and scare away the oni. <laughs> and then there are these caverns just filled with all these little Buddha statues. It's pretty cool. And then you come out of the cave and there's this huge statue of Kanon. We've talked about Kanon before. There's also this weird like marble art area. They call it a marble garden, I guess. It was sculpted by Ito Kuitani from Italian marble, and the place is called the Hill of Hope. So this marble garden was interesting. It was just unlike anything I'd ever seen. Really kind of abstract art, supposed to be about family ties and stuff. I didn't spend a ton of time there, but it's something that you don't find at other temples for sure. So that's kind of cool. This temple also has an annex, which is like a building kind of on the other side of the street that's just stuffed with really old artifacts from like 1400s 1500s that kind of stuff and there was like nobody in there like it's included with your ticket to the temple but i didn't see anybody in there like nobody's interested in all this amazing old art i feel
0: like the annexes are always hit or miss sometimes you go and you're just like eh this isn't the good stuff and every once in a while you go and find some gems
1: yeah i don't know i just love thinking about how old this stuff is and what was going on when it was made, you know, which is pretty cool. So as I left that temple, it started to rain. And uh, let me say, actually, before I showed up to Japan, I've been watching the weather and it said that it was going to be raining that entire first week. So I was really worried because that was going to be my bike ride time, my two-day long bike ride. But I got really lucky. Like it rained a tiny bit in the morning on this day And it was mostly clear. And then it started raining right at the end when I was almost to my destination anyway. And then for the entire rest of the trip, we saw like zero rain until the very last day.
0: Yeah, I got sprinkled on a couple times and that was it.
1: Yeah, we got really lucky with that. Um, As I was approaching my hostel, I also found a lemon grove, which is pretty cool. Nice. I just never, I'd never seen a lemon grove. It is grove, right? I was thinking about this recently, like, why is it an apple orchard, but a lemon grove? Why do you never hear lemon orchard, or orange orchard, for that matter? Couldn't tell you.
0: Language is funny.
1: It it sure is. Okay, so at the end of this day, I crossed over from Hiroshima Prefecture into Ehime Prefecture, which is in Shikoku. So, my first moments in Shikoku ever, the last main island... For me to visit in Japan. You've hit them all. Yep. Another prefecture off your list. That's right. But I still, I mean, technically wasn't on the island of Shikoku because I was only halfway through the Seto Inland Sea. As I mentioned, I decided to take two days to do this trip. You can do it in one day. Like if you're fit enough and you're you know a cyclist and you feel comfortable that you can do 43 miles in a day, definitely doable. I would still kind of recommend doing it in two days, though, just so you have time to stop and look around and try the local food and, like, just give yourself time to kind of explore. You don't want to feel rushed to finish it, you know? Yeah. Good idea to take your time, I think. So halfway through this bike ride, I spent a night at this hostel. It's almost exactly halfway through. It's called iLink Hostel and Cafe Shimanami. It's kind of made for people doing this bike ride because you get this little room. You can bring your bike into your room. It is really like a hostel. You don't get a hotel room with a private bathroom or anything. It's all shared bathrooms. You have a few options. You can get like a dorm style thing where you're with other people or you just basically have a bed. I got this thing where you kind of, you get a room, but the door is more of a like heavy curtain But it's like, it's more substantial than a curtain and it does lock. So it's basically a hotel room with a shared bathroom situation. No big deal. It was, it was pretty comfortable and the food was great. They have a little restaurant there. You can get Teishoku, traditional Japanese style stuff. And there's a convenience store across the street, which I also hit up because I wanted to make sure I got enough calories to uh, keep my body going for a second day of cycling. So that was day three. Day 4. I woke up and right by that hostel I found a michino eki. Does that sound familiar, Paul? Yeah. Little uh spot where they sell local goods, right? Exactly, yeah. A michino eki is a, basically a roadside station. It's like a farmer's market plus they have a little shop that just sells all sorts of local goods. You can try the local food, I was a little bit too early to try food, like the restaurant stuff wasn't open yet, but it was really cool looking around. And I thought it was really funny that in this shop like this is this is fairly rural Japan, right? Like we're on these little islands, small towns. They were playing Limp Biscuit and the Dewey Brothers in the store. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. I took a little <laughs> video of like Limp Biscuit playing in the background. I can't even remember the last time I heard Limp Biscuit playing anywhere. I know, it was so random. Anyway, so I, I rested a while. I got some stuff in my belly, bought some soup at the vending machine for breakfast, and then I got on my bike and started biking. I found my way down to a port area on one of the islands, and we're talking like big shipping containers, heavy machinery, moving stuff around. That was kind of interesting to see. And then I stopped at this place called Fu, F U U, uh, and I had lunch there. It's an Okonomiyaki place. And unlike most Okonomiyaki places, they served both Kansai style, like Osaka style, and Hiroshima style Okonomiyaki. So that was pretty cool that you got the choice. I prefer Hiroshima style personally. And you could choose between soba noodles or udon. So I got udon. Hiroshima style okonomiyaki it was delicious all the choices yeah it was a really cool place too like it was all locals that i saw in there you know that's always a good sign yeah so then just past that i stopped at another Michinoeki, and next to this place there was kind of this little dock that i wanted to walk out to the end of to get pictures of this bridge because it was like it was still kind of early it was really foggy and i kind of love how a bridge in the fog looks. It's just a cool sight, right? Yeah. So I'm walking out there and I notice, oh, this dock is like blocked off. They won't let me walk out there. What's up with that? I started looking around a little bit and it's because this dock was part of Dolphin Farm Shimanami, they called it. Paul's giving me a face. Dolphin Farm. I know. Okay. It sounds like they're eating these dolphins, but they're not. They just thought that it was a cool english she name, I guess. Okay. Dolphin Farm. But it's, So what are they doing with the dolphins? It's more of a petting zoo. It's like a dolphin petting zoo. Okay. So I paid 500 yen to go check out these dolphins. And like, they'll come right up to you. They'll look you in the eye. If you pay a little bit more, you can pet them. If you pay a lot more, you can swim with them, actually. Okay. So, you know, we've talked before about how we have mixed feelings about... Uh, Seeing animals in captivity, you know, is probably not the happiest place for them, but I couldn't resist taking like a ton of pictures and videos because I'd never been that close to a dolphin before. So I was kind of excited. Like I, that was one thing that I did not expect at all. Like I had no idea that place was there. And I don't know how more people aren't talking about that. Anyway, that was really cool. The Michi Noeki was really cool. I found some lemon hot sauce. Which I was nice. I really wanted to try, but you know, that's too much to bring home. I can't bring that home in my carry on, sadly. But I tried some uh, local fresh fruit juice that was delicious. They have something called a decoton, like a little citrus fruit. I think it's kind of like a mandarin orange sort of thing. But oh man, it was so good. And you could see, like in the bottle, it's so fresh squeezed. They got, you know, that pulp in the bottom. Delicious. Then this. Sky started clearing. It was a beautiful day. And like we're far south enough that you start seeing palm trees and stuff around. It starts feeling a little bit tropical. And this is where I really started to burn. Yeah, I didn't bring sunscreen because I thought it was going to be rainy or at least cloudy, but it totally cleared up. And my arms are just out there on the handlebars, baking in the sun. But it was absolutely gorgeous. So many great sights. Yeah, those uh,
0: bridges look really cool.
1: Yeah, they were really cool. Um, and then, so I wanted to talk about this last island because like I said, most of the islands are super, super flat. Like there's no hint of a hill up or down until you get to those bridges, like I said. But that last island, I did not enjoy that last island. <laughs> and I'd heard about this. Like there's not a lot to see there. There aren't a lot of like interesting places to stop. And on this island, you're biking through the middle of the island instead of around the edge. And I think that contributes to how many hills you're hitting. Yeah. I mean, just up and down and up and down. And like the downs are enjoyable, but the ups are miserable. This was the only place where I ever walked my bike. You got to learn to love the burn. I was okay with the burn. It was just the combination of the bike not fitting me great. So I couldn't even stand up. Like if I stood up, my knees would hit the handlebars. Oh, wow. So I, you know, I was trying to just pound through these hills, sitting down, and I was just drenched in sweat, and the sun is beating down on me. I was like, oh, I just, I can't, I can't keep going. So yeah, that's why I say if we do this again, we should start in Imabari, get that island out of the way first, because it's the least enjoyable one, and then the rest of it is just smooth sailing. Okay. At the end of that day, dropped off my bike at Sunrise Itoyama. If you go Google around a little bit and try to find information about renting a bike, depending on where you rent it from, there might be several places where you can drop off your bike. I picked a spot pretty close to the bridge. Like once I got to Imabari, I pretty quickly just was able to drop off my bike. And then from there, I walked to the nearest train station. It's called Hashihama Station. I was not prepared for how incredibly tiny this station was. It doesn't even have any English on the station. This is one of those types of stations that you find in rural Japan where it's like there's a single track running through. Actually, I think there are two, but there's no ticket booth. There's no ticket gate that you have to get through. And there's nothing telling you which side of the tracks you need to be on, like which one the train is going to come at. You have to look at the actual paper timetable that's posted on the wall to figure out which track you're supposed to be at. I don't know. I wasn't prepared for how rural it was. Like, I didn't realize I was kind of that far out there. (laughs) So, how would you pay for a ticket then? You know, I asked a guy that was sitting there, like, where do I buy a ticket? And he's like, oh, you, you like, you don't need a ticket. You like, I I didn't fully understand what he was saying because he was, telling me in Japanese, but it sounded like you'd have to do something on the other end. Like once you arrive at your destination, you do okay something. You pay for it somehow. Okay. I'm still I'm still a little confused. Those those really rural stations are confusing and tricky. And like yeah. and once you get to Shikoku, like like I said, I mostly spent my time in the two biggest cities on the island. So the infrastructure is, you know, mostly pretty good but even in those cities if you get a little ways out from like the center of the city it starts to feel like oh man there's like really not a lot of support for me out here you know what i mean like yeah. kind of maybe less people speaking a lot of english less english signs i was surprised at how kind of quickly that happened i guess anyway i got on the right train fortunately i just kept asking people like I didn't want to hound one person with all my questions, so I'd like ask one person a question, get an answer, and then think of another question and be like, "Oh, I should figure this out too." And I go ask somebody else, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> so I figured out which side I was supposed to be on and all that. And I got on the train to Matsuyama station. Matsuyama is I believe the biggest city in Shikoku. Does that sound right, Paul? It does. Yeah. Population of about 3.6 million. Wow, that's oh, bigger sorry, than I sorry. thought it would be. No. All oh, that Shikoku's population. That's all of Shikoku. Okay. Yeah. Matsuyama is about 500,000. Okay. Capital of Ehime Prefecture, biggest city in Shikoku. So that gives you an idea of how rural the rest of Shikoku is. Yeah. So got to Matsuyama, checked in at my hotel, and then I checked out this restaurant that I'd heard about called Nagasaka. It was right by my hotel, which was right by Matsuyama Station. And Paul, this place is fantastic. I'd heard good things because they serve all the like local foods, like it's all fresh local stuff. And I should warn people that there's like no English there. The menu is fully in Japanese, but Google Translate is so amazing now. You can just point your camera at anything and it'll translate it. So when I walked in there, the waiter that sat me down, he's like, "We don't have an English menu." Like, this this is it. Is that cool? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got a translator on my phone and we're all good. Yeah. So I just translated the whole menu and it was no big deal. But oh, it was amazing. I won't like go through everything I had with my meal, but I just ordered a bunch of stuff and it was all so, so delicious. And I kind of talked to the waiter a little bit too. That was pretty fun. Like, you know, with the little Japanese I know, it's always super fun to get to practice that in Japan. And I was just talking to this guy and like, you know, when I started tasting the food, I told him, like, oh, man, this is so amazingly delicious. And uh was, like, asking him about it a little bit. Oh, I asked what kind of tea he served. He, he brought me some mugicha, which is barley tea, which I thought I'd had before and didn't like. But for some reason, this time, I loved it. It was really good. And I'm going to start buying that and drinking that. And then when I left, I told him, like, Ashtamokimas. kimasu. I'm coming again tomorrow. And he kind of laughed. He's like, really? You're coming in tomorrow? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, man, I'll be here. So yeah, that was day four. Day five, I explored Matsuyama. I got up, I walked to Matsuyama Castle, which is one of the 12 original castles remaining in Japan. Nice. Yeah. So there's a ropeway that you can take to get to the castle because, of course, it's on top of this mountain, right? Yeah. But my hotel was on the opposite side from the ropeway, so I'm like, I'm not going to walk all the way around the base of this mountain. I'll just walk up. Yeah? I got a little sweaty. (laughs) Fortunately, at the top, well, not, not even at the very top. It was like halfway up. They had a little gift shop where they sold handkerchiefs. And I was like, you know, I should probably have a handkerchief anyway. I don't know if we've mentioned this recently, but a lot of times... In public restrooms in Japan, there won't be a way to dry your hands. Like there's almost never a way to dry your hands, honestly. So it's a good idea to have a handkerchief to dry your hands. Also useful for mopping up sweat, which is what I needed it for at that moment. So I bought one and that was good. Uh, Then I made my way up to the very top where there's this big kind of plateau around the castle keep that's just full of cherry blossom trees. And I was a little bit early for full bloom in Matsuyama, but I was still able to get some pictures of the castle keep with the cherry blossoms around it. I think they look pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty nice. Thank you. The inside of the castle was cool. Like most castles in Japan these days, there's like a museum in there. It had a lot of history, had some samurai armor, had some samurai swords. Look at that. Look how cool it is.
0: I love the armor sets. Yeah. They're really cool.
1: Yeah like a sword with a dragon on the blade. Cool stuff. Of course, you can get to the very top of the keep and get great views of the city as well. Once I came down, I took the ropeway to get down the other side of the mountain, and then I made my way to Dogo Onsen. If you are familiar with Studio Ghibli, maybe you've seen the movie Spirited Away. There's this huge, elaborate bathhouse in that movie, and Dogo Onsen is the bathhouse that inspired the one in the movie. So that was pretty cool. Sadly, they were doing renovations on most of it. Like, most of it was completely covered up, but you could still see the front with all these little gables, I think you call that. Cool-looking building, even though most of it was covered up. I also stopped at Dogo Beer Hall, which is one of the relatively uncommon places in Japan where you can buy craft beer. They sold a bunch of different stuff. I got the menu here. Got a uh, Kolsch beer. They got a, something called Madonna beer. I'm not even, i really heard of that one. They had a chocolate ale. They had a Weizen. They had an IPA, an American pale ale. So I tried some of those. Got some, uh, Grilled chicken skin as a snack alongside. I say that's the perfect accompaniment to some beer. I walked down Dogo Shopping Street, which is pretty cool. They had an old-fashioned dagashiya, which is a shop where they sell traditional Japanese sweets. Got some stuff there. Then I visited, I don't know, I thought it was kind of weird that this was one of the most famous places in Matsuyama. It's called the Bochan Karakuri Clock. Paul, do you remember that word katakuri coming up in a past episode? No. You remember those katakuri dolls where they're like moving dolls with all this clockwork inside them? No. That doesn't ring a bell at all. They had these dolls that would like do calligraphy or like shoot a bow and arrow and Mm. stuff. They're really, really nothing. I mean, the word no, but I, I know what you're talking about. All right. Well, this clock it's like, a, how do you describe that, Paul? What does that look like? It's a, it's it, like it looks a, like a combination of
0: a grandfather clock and like a temple building.
1: Hmm. I was thinking like a cuckoo clock. And I mean, functionally, it's sort of similar to a cuckoo clock because it's, I think it's every hour or at certain times it might be every 30 minutes, but it's got this whole show where the thing like rises up out of the ground and expands and all these doors pop open and there are all these little moving dolls and all these scenes happening and it plays all this music and stuff. It's really crazy. Like I didn't really get why it was famous until I saw this little performance that it did. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. Like You don't see that everywhere. Yeah, it does look really cool. Uh, right near there is a shrine called Isaniwa Shrine. I don't have a ton to say about it. There's kind of a long stairway, like a stone stone stairs to get to the top. I'd say it's worth it just for the view of the city from the top. Like you can kind of see a long ways in it. With the cherry blossoms especially, it was pretty cool. And then, as promised, I went back to Nagasaki for dinner. I saw the same waiter there. He was excited to see me, and he was like, same seat? And I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. Nice. Tried some other food. It was great again. And I guess this was right when Japan beat the US in uh, in baseball or something. What was what was that, Paul?
0: Yeah, Japan won the World Baseball Classic. Beat the US in a really tight final game.
1: Yes, yeah, so when I was talking to this waiter as I was leaving, he said something about like baseball and I'm like, "What what happened with baseball? Like, I'm not into baseball." And then like I heard about it the next day I was like, "Oh, that's what he was talking about." Okay.
0: Yep. Japan's got
1: 3 titles now and the US only
0: has 1. It's
1: kind of embarrassing. It makes sense. If you go listen to our baseball episode, it'll make sense why Japan's beating the US. Right? I keep seeing these little, I guess because I'm following like Japanese accounts or whatever, I keep seeing stuff on Instagram about these amazing Japanese players and I keep wanting to send you stuff. <laughs> There was one with Ichiro where he was like, I forget what he was aiming for. He was just like hitting balls at maybe other balls on like tees or something. And he was just nailing each one from, you know. There's a bunch 100 of 100 amazing feet away Ichiro videos. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. He can place that ball wherever he wants. So that night after Nagasaki, I went to bed. Next morning, woke up, took the train to Takamatsu, which is, I believe, the second largest city and really the only other like big city in Shikoku. It's kind of on the northeast corner, whereas Matsuyama is kind of the northwest corner. So got to Takamatsu. I feel like I ended up there a little bit later than I wanted to. I kind of let myself sleep in. because I was just feeling the effects of all the travel, you know. I was like super busy every day. I got there a little late. So I went straight to Ritsarin Garden, which is kind of their famous garden. It's one of the most famous things in the city. And got to tell you, it's pretty amazing. There's this mountain that they use as borrowed scenery. So like kind of wherever you are in this garden, you can see this beautiful green mountain rising up behind everything. That's pretty cool. And they had cherry blossoms and they have like a big pond in the middle and they had koi and you, I believe they, you can feed the koi. I'd done that before, so I didn't buy food to feed them, but... Let me see if I can find the picture of the like the full thing, like this. Isn't that cool?
0: Got, yeah, it looks like a nice big garden.
1: Yeah, you got the bright red bridge. You got cherry blossoms scattered around. Really nice place. I agree with this one review that I read where somebody's like, if you're a photographer, this garden does all the work for you. You can just walk around, point your camera in any direction, and it's just perfect pictures all <laughs> over the place. was really cool from there i walked to a restaurant that i was kind of excited and a little bit nervous about it's called sanuki udon uehara and sanuki udon we talked about this in the shikoku episode remember that paul oh no well we did it's not vegan food so i probably forgot right away the noodles themselves are vegan oh plain noodles great (laughs) yeah (laughs) every vegan's favorite right (laughs) yeah so, Sunuki Udon is uh, famous in Kagawa Prefecture. It's a big deal. And I'd heard good things about this restaurant. Things you should know if you want to visit is, number one, it's, there's like zero English here, too. <laughs> Again, in Shikoku, you know, you go to these restaurants, you don't get any English support with the menu. As some of the, you know. I was looking for a place that only locals were eating at, and I was literally the only white person in there. But it's kind of a cafeteria-style thing. Like, you just go down this little line. You tell them what kind of noodles you want. You can grab whatever kind of tempura you want. And they'll give you a bowl of cold noodles. And this was really cool. Like, once you get your food and you pay, you turn around and there's this little, what do you call that? I don't know. It's just like a big sink-looking thing (laughs) with hot water in there. And then there's the little noodle strainer things. And you take your bowl of cold noodles, you dump the noodles into the strainer, you dunk them in the water to warm them up, then you pour them back into your bowl. Then you slide your tray down to the left and there's like a little spigot where you can pour the broth into your bowl. (laughs) So it's kind of cool. cool, It's like self-serve udon. Okay. Okay. And then just past that, there were a bunch of toppings like ginger and these little tempura crispy bits and some green onions and shichimi, like chili pepper sort of stuff. And dude, I was blown away. Like I'd never really thought of myself as a huge fan of udon before, but this, especially with all the tempura they had, it was incredible. I highly recommend this place. And by the way, if I mention a place that you're interested in visiting... Check out the the episode notes because I'm putting all the names of all these places in there so you can look them up and figure out where they are and that kind of thing. Yeah, this place was so good. Sanuki Udon Uehara, it's called. I was blown away. I'd never had Udon that good before. Okay, from there, my last big thing I wanted to do that day was get to Shikoku Village. Paul, you would have loved Shikoku Village, man. Why is that? Because it's basically an outdoor, they call it like an open-air architectural museum. Oh, nice. So they've brought in all of these buildings from around Shikoku and stuck them all in this place. Oh, I know in the Shikoku episode, we also talked about how they used to use vine bridges in Shikoku. And there are a few places where you can still find them and walk across them. And they have one at this place. That was really exciting. That looks incredible. Yeah, but look at how wide apart each of these steps is. Yeah. Like you could easily, if you weren't watching where you're stepping, your foot could easily slip right through there. Yep. Definitely got to be careful. But that was really cool walking across that vine bridge. And then they have here's an old Kabuki theater with like the thatch roof. That's pretty cool. They had a lot of the types of buildings that people lived in in you know rural Shikoku. That was super cool. They had a lighthouse there and like the lighthouse keeper's house. (laughs) I thought it was really cool. In some of these buildings, they have little videos kind of giving you some context, giving you some history. In one of them, they're actually talking to the woman that used to live in this house. You know, she's like super old in the video and she's talking about how when she was a kid, you know, just what rural life was like. Like they'd have torrential rains and it would just flow through the house and like carry away their shoes (laughs) or she said that one time it rained so hard that it just like busted up the roof like a clay tile roof and what they did because they're kind of in the middle of nowhere they just go out gather some red clay and they made their own roof tiles to repair the roof wow that cool so yeah Shikoku village Shikoku Mura very cool place kind of out there, like you won't find a lot of tourists there probably, but if you're into the history and, you know, getting out into kind of the more rural areas a little bit, it was super cool. Uh, Near there, I was actually, this is kind of a random place to visit, but I was excited to check out this cable car, or at least the ruins of a cable car. So Shikokumura is kind of at the base of this mountain, And you can get to the top of the mountain. There's like a bus that goes up there now, but there used to be this cable car. And now it's just all rusted out and like the windows are busted and you can go see the ruins and actually walk around inside this cable car. And it was so cool. Like, I just love that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, abandoned structures are always kind
1: of fun. Yeah, like urban exploration kind of stuff and everything's all rusty. And they got this little like, little control room thing that's all kind of falling apart (laughs) just really fun looking around and as I was there a a Japanese couple showed up too and they were like poking around I was like I wonder how many people seek this out you know anyway it was cool Uh, right next to that is Omiya Hachiman shrine I didn't walk all the way to the top because I was really tired but it looked cool then I kind of went back to Shikokumura for dinner because they have a little restaurant there that also served sunuki udon of course and I wanted to get as much of that as I could while I had the chance so I tried another version of that with beef in there that was really good. And then I had to get back to Takamatsu station. And like I said, like once you get out of kind of the middle of the city, you're mostly just seeing these little tiny train stations. There might even just be like a platform, not even a station at all. To get back, I had to go to a station. It was actually a station, but there's only, again, like two tracks. And I asked the guy working there, like, which track do I need to be at to get back to Takamatsu Station? And he told me, and then as I'm sitting out there waiting for the train, there are these two girls speaking English. And I heard them saying like, which track should we be on? Like, I don't know. Why don't we go up these stairs and like, Beyond the little uh, the bridge over the tracks, and then we'll just watch for which way the train is going, and we'll sprint down to that side. You know, I'm like, well, that's it's one a, way, that's one a way solid to do it. Plan, <laughs> yeah, that will work. But I just asked them, like, do you guys need help? Like, where where are you trying to get? And they were going to the same place I was, so I helped them out, told them where to go, and we started talking. And it was just the craziest coincidence because one of the girls was from Minnesota, which is where we're from. Where we are right now, while we're recording this, and you sound so happy
0: about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Minnesota, woo! Minnesota's a good place. I'd just rather be in Japan right now, but, but yeah, a lot of weird coincidences. Like this, this girl might have met my grandpa. There's a story behind that, but I won't go into it. Uh, and then the other girl that she was with was from Morocco. Actually, they were both studying abroad in Japan. And that was kind of a weird coincidence, too, because my sister had just been in Morocco like the week before. Anyway, so that was funny, and we talked on the train on the way back. So we got back to my hotel, went to bed. That is the end of day six. Don't worry, Paul, we're almost there. <laughs> One more day, and then you get to talk, to.
0: Hey, if it's day seven, this is probably the evening I arrived. Probably we've have, we haven't met up yet.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I woke up in Takamatsu on day seven, and I did the one last thing I wanted to do in Takamatsu, which is visit the Takamatsu Castle Park, because Takamatsu used to have a castle. Now it's just kind of the foundations, and they have they have some buildings there, and there's like a gate. I and see a stuff. nice moat. Yeah, the moat is definitely still there. There was actually some history there, even about like swimming. Like there was some prominent samurai there or somebody that was like, you know what? Samurai all need to know how to swim. That's an important skill, especially, you know, where they're located, right? On the Seto Inland Sea. Yeah. So they would do like swimming practice in that moat. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. The castle park was pretty cool. They had some cherry blossoms. You know, there were some buildings remaining. Didn't blow me away, but it's a nice place to have a stroll. And then I got on a train to go back to Onomichi. So remember, I was at Onomichi before my bike ride. And then I kind of circled around and went back to Onomichi. I could have planned that a little better. But I decided later on in my planning, like, you know what? One day is not enough in Onomichi. Let me go back, spend another day. And it was fine. Like I don't regret spending time on trains at all. If anything, I would have liked to have had another rest day. Like, I thought all the train rides would be enough to kind of let my body recover, but I was still pretty tired a lot of the time. But went back to Onomichi, finished the temple walk, saw the rest of the temples, and then the last thing I wanted to do in Onomichi was walk around the streets. Like, there's kind of this big section on kind of the southeastern side of the city. This all just like narrow alleyways and a lot of like little bars and stuff that I knew from The Aqua's a game. So I wanted to check that out in person, see how that felt. Because in the game, you can like walk into these bars too and hang out and order drinks and whatever. I just imagined you walking around.
0: It's like I'm in a video game. (gasps) It totally was, man.
1: (laughs) I met some stray cats. That's always fun. One of them even like really liked me and rubbed up against my legs and like walked between my legs and everything. Really friendly. Uh Ah, yeah. But this night, man, this night was one of my favorite nights of the trip because, so I'm walking down these little streets. I pass this place where there's just kind of a nondescript door and I hear some karaoke coming from the other side. I'm like, oh, this must be like a karaoke bar kind of thing. But like Onomichi is kind of the kind of place where like these bars have regulars. You know, I get the sense that it's all kind of the same people hanging out each night at the same bar. So I felt like maybe it would be weird if I walked in there. like, And they're like really tiny bars too, you know? So it's like, am I going to walk in and everybody just turns and stares at me? Like, what is this guy doing here? But as I'm standing there debating whether I should go in, this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, you like coffee? Do you want to come in for a coffee? I'll buy you a coffee. I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, I'll come in for a coffee. So he brings me in there and it was kind of just how I expected. Like it's all old guys around his age, like they're all retirees basically. And he's like, Hey everybody, I found this American outside. (laughs) He just brought me in there. He got me the coffee. They started uh, talking dirty because they thought I didn't understand anything that they were saying, but I, I understood enough because they like asked me what hotel I was staying at. And then they told the bartender who was the only woman in there, by the way, He's like, oh, you you should go over to his hotel. We'll send you over and you can go take care of him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you guys. <laughs> you guys. But yeah, so after I had my coffee, you know, they're asking like karaoke. And I'm like, I love karaoke. So we started singing karaoke. People started buying me drinks. Like as it got later, we started having some beers and whiskey. I love how they get you in with the coffee. And I then know. And like an hour later, you're drinking sneaky. beers
0: and then whiskey. It was
1: sneaky. And then there's this one guy sitting next to me that I was talking to a bit. And he was drinking shochu. Like I was asking him, you know, what are you drinking? Is that sake? And he's like, no, I only drink shochu. And I'm like, do you ever do like shochu highballs? And he's like, no, straight. I only drink it straight, 35%. <laughs> I'm like, all right. But he had the bartender make me a shochu highball. And I saw, like, as she was pouring it, he's like, give him more, give him more, keep pouring, you know? So, yeah, the night got a little wild. And uh, I got this guy to sing with me finally. I was like, do you guys know any English songs? Like, let's do a duet. And the only English song he knew was uh, We Are the World. Okay. You know? Hey, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. So we got through that. That was a lot of fun. I feel like, I mean, you know, as everybody's loosening up, having more drinks, people are kind of getting more into their karaoke performances, you know what I'm saying? There was oh, yeah. this one guy that was really into it, like, he was killing it. And I was having a ton of fun, and I don't know, I think at, at some point, somehow, they kept, like, giving me more shochu highballs without me noticing, because I remember distinctly a moment where I looked in front of me all of a sudden, and it's like, this glass... It's way more full than I remember it being, you know? <laughs> and I kind of... Okay, things now went, it's, things now went it's a little too far. starting to make more sense. <laughs> Why I missed the train in the morning, you mean? Yeah, yeah. You're like, Jason's never late ever
0: anywhere. And he texts me like the day we're going to meet up. Dude, I missed my train. I'm going to be like an hour late. I'm like, what the hell happened last night? And we met up and you're like, I think I only had three drinks. I'm like, three drinks makes you miss the trade? What the hell were you drinking? Well, you
1: know, looking back through my pictures, I found, okay, there's a picture of a shochu highball. That looks different than the first one you had. The first one you had was very yellow. This one's not white. No, 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 no. Okay. The first drink I had was a beer. Second one I had, that's a whiskey highball. Oh, whiskey highball. That's the one I ordered. And then the third one was the shochu highball, which is right here. But it gets more full. Exactly. Three
0: pictures later, it's exactly. back full
1: again. I didn't realize what happened until I looked back at the pictures and I'm like, okay, so that's the first one. And there I already drank like a third of it. Yeah. And then a couple pictures later, wait a minute, that's a <laughs> brand new one.
0: Every time you go up to sing, they're just throwing a new drink down on it. Apparently. In your place.
1: Apparently. I wonder if after I left, they're like, oh, man, that guy's going to have a hangover tomorrow. You must
0: already be getting toasty if you didn't realize your drink was back full again.
1: I guess. I don't know. (laughs) When you're having fun. It was a lot of fun. I don't fully remember leaving. I remember thinking, like, when I leave... I was kind of rehearsing in my head all the lines I was going to say in Japanese, you know, like, oh, you guys, this was so much fun. I'm never going to forget this. Like, thank yeah. you so much for letting then me hang out. you're walking out the door and you're just like... <laughs> 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 Maybe it's a good thing that I don't remember exactly what I said. <laughs> the one thing I do remember is trying to sing like a fast Red Hot Chili Peppers song at the end of the night and just butchering it, like <laughs> stumbling over my words. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what happened, but yeah. So yeah, But apparently, I mean, I got back to my hotel. Okay. I do remember like picking up my bags and apparently I called Yia and had a huge smile on my face and I told her how much fun I had that night. (laughs) And then I I called her the next morning to tell her about it. And she's like, you called me last night. like, oh, crap. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Anyway, it was a fantastic night. And that is the end of day seven. So that's what I did without you, Paul. Sounds like a lot of fun. It was fun. Wish you were there though. Be too. Yeah. So I think we're going to end it there for this episode. Uh, next time we're going to, or wait, Paul, do I need to ask you what's coming up next time? Is it already obvious? Part two of trip recap. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, like I said, if you want to get the names of all these places, check out the show notes. Uh, you can also check out our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. If you'd like to help support the podcast, If maybe you got some ideas from this itinerary that you want to try out, feel free to hit that uh, donate button on the donate section of our website. Is there anything else I need to say here? We already said what's coming up next time. No. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
0: Mic check. One, two, one, two.
1: Who's Mike? Mike. You don't name your microphones? Nope. I guess that's just me then. But that's my microphone. You're naming my microphone? Yeah. We have a close relationship. Not as close as my relationship with that microphone. I make love to that microphone when you're not around. Hold on. Let me me back up a few (laughs) inches here. (laughs) Can't smell it? (laughs) Okay. Now we're testing. We got um, pictures up. And we'll see how that goes. But Paul, you need to talk too. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, once you once you give me a second to get in here, I will test the mic.
1: I will make love to the mic. No, that no, no, you don't get to do no, that. I all right, that's we're, a monogamous mic, Paul. We're, we're just friends. You better be. <laughs> Mike and I, we're just buddies.